Welcome to the Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. This is your weekly podcast, delivering you the insight, ideas, and inspiration to successfully change and transform in our ever-evolving world of retail. Enjoy listening. Well, hello, and welcome to the Retail Transformation Show. My name is Oliver Banks. I'm proud to be your host. I'm a consultant and advisor working with senior leaders to transform retail businesses and operations. I'm honored to be one of the most influential voices in the industry. As a LinkedIn top voice, a top retail tech influencer nominated by the Retail Tech Innovation Hub, and a top AI influencer from Coresight Research. I focus in on advising and helping companies to navigate transformation, disruption, and the ever-evolving world of retail. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This one is episode 267, number 267. And one of the topics that often goes hand in hand with transformation is that of technology, often through the confusing term of digital transformation. <clears throat> Sorry, little allergic reaction there. If you don't know what I mean, then head over to the show notes which you'll find at obandco.uk slash 267 and find out why I have an allergic reaction to digital transformation. But nevertheless, technology is a huge topic and like I say, goes hand in hand with transformation. So I'm really excited about today's conversation. I'm talking to Holly Steele. For nearly 20 years now, Holly has focused in on technology and more recently on retail. Initially, she started her career as a consultant, implementing and supporting various ERP systems for the US government. And then 10 years ago, she made her transition into our wonderful retail industry when she joined Sweaty Betty. Most recently, she was head of technology there and she spearheaded the implementation of a number of key business technologies and adopting agile ways of working as well. And Holly is about to embark on a, an exciting new opportunity as a technology director for a great retailer and brand. And so I'm really excited about catching up with Holly in today's episode as we explore more about retail technology and how to be successful as you take on this enormous topic. Find out more about Holly on today's show notes, which are at obandco.uk slash 267. And also remember to sign up for the Retail Transformation Briefing. This briefing is my free weekly email newsletter, which covers key headlines from around the world with insights and innovations, as well as practical ideas to help you successfully navigate the ever-evolving world of retail. So head on over to obandco.uk slash 267. Right. Without further ado, let's jump into this great conversation. Welcome to the Retail Transformation Show, Holly Steele. How are you today? Oh, hi, Ollie. I am doing really, really well today. How are you? I'm doing amazingly well. I'm really excited to be chatting. We always have a hugely entertaining and informative conversation, so I'm really looking forward to jumping into this with you, to be honest, Holly. So uh, yeah, 
I am too, Ollie. I was thinking the same. I'm so pleased and excited to be here with you. And just echoing what you said, I feel like every time we sit down and chat, it's always something new that we're sparking and jumping off ideas with each other. And I, I love that. So I can't wait to see how this conversation unfolds. Absolutely. And we're diving into quite a broad conversation <laughs> here to, <laughs> yes, here to share are. ideas really about retail tech and the grandest sense of the word, right? Retail technology and transformation often go hand in hand. They're quite often confused as well, which is a different conversation probably. But, you know, we're, we're talking about technology all of the time, particularly with the evolution of SaaS and AI and lots of different opportunities. What does retail tech mean to you, Holly? Oh, so Ollie, I'm going to be an absolute nerd on this one and go back to what I would have done in primary school or nice. middle school. Draw a picture. And, <laughs> and in preparation for this conversation, I looked up the definition of technology just to really ground myself. And do you remember having to write essays and stuff in school where they would say, oh, you know, have a catchy intro. And it was always, I always chose, I'm going to define this word as such and such. <laughs> Webster's Dictionary defines it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So what was interesting to kind of spark thoughts, I, I actually did do that. And I really, really gravitated toward the definition I found, which I'm going to read to you. Cool. So it is the application of scientific knowledge to the practical aims of human life. And that's, mm. that's echoed in a few different places. That specific wording is from Britannica. But what I really love about it is it is pretty agnostic to kind of what field you're talking about. You know, yep. obviously, we're, when we talk about retail technology, we're talking about information technology in a retail sphere. But what I love about it really is this practical aims of human life. And so many times in, in conversations around technology in a retail space, we kind of always go back to, oh, think about the customer. We mm. need to think about the customer. And that's so true. But it, to me, it's so embedded in this definition of this really at the core of whatever we do in, from a technology space, it really needs to be thinking about what are we trying to achieve as people and humans mm. in a specific context. And so I guess to really be literal and go back to answer your question, I think retail technology is any type of technology we're using to solve problems for humans in the yeah. retail space. So that could be customers, it could be colleagues, et cetera. I, I really love that, you know, being human focused, whether that's customer or, or colleague as well, is literally there in the definition of technology, because too often it's like, ah, oh, cool stuff, right? Uh, you know, yes. arguably. And actually, based on the dictionary definition or encyclopedia definition, no, we've got to, we've got to be focused on moving humankind forward, so to speak. Exactly. And I think, I think, to me, and I think a lot of this conversation today can be anchored in that concept of really technology is here. As it, well, technology has a long, long, long history, right? It's, you know, before digital technology, <laughs> there was, you know, the printing press is an example of technology. Yes. The steam engine is an example of technology. It's a, it's a broad, broad term, but 
with the more, you know, modern applications, particularly as you say, sometimes it's so divorced from from people, right? We're thinking about what can tech do. Mm. And and that's that's that scientific knowledge. That's that's mm. that's that exploration in terms of what's innovative, what's out there, what what how far can we push this this concept? But ultimately it comes back to what is that practical application around human life that's really so important. Mm. So that that to me is is that little definition there. Yeah, I, I, I do like the scientific knowledge element as well because, you know, technology nowadays is hugely digitally enabled, right? Yes. But I, I don't think about technology as a science, so to speak, but actually it is, of course. And we want to take those, you know, if we go back to our school days, take the same scientific principles that we would have learned in school in terms of, you know, experimentation and understanding the, the, the ecosystem of your, you know, your scientific findings and, you know, eliminating noise and variation. There's so much opportunity there by thinking of technology as science. Yes, I think you're right. And I found it was interesting over the last few years, and I'm trying to remember the exact context, but sometime over the last few years, I remember talking to the team about just that really basic scientific method. And I was saying, and again, it's kind of going back to the school days. And I, I was like, you guys, remember the scientific method where you've got a hypothesis and then you're running tests to prove that hypothesis true or false. And I admittedly never thought I would use it ever again because I don't <laughs> consider myself a scientist. <laughs> but what was interesting is actually, as you say, that way of thinking is actually so embedded in in technology itself and also when we start to look at kind of modern ways of working when you think about agile and you talk about continuous improvement and getting you know things out quickly then you start with something and then you have you can build and iterate on it so again that is really the genesis of the the beginning of all that is really this idea of having a hypothesis and then being able to iterate based on information that you gather off the back of testing it. So it's amazing, I guess, as you said, and probably, I don't know, 50 years ago, people would say, well, of course, technology is science. But we've, I think in our modern age, it's so pervasive, right? You know, particularly digital technology is so commonplace now that we don't even consider it really all the time as a vehicle for science or built from science. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's a, a great point. And, you know, I, I think it's quite fortunate, really, that hypotheses feature in my upcoming book, Driving Retail Transformation, as a, an important skill. Which I know you've, uh, you've, you've taken a look at that, Holly, and, you know, I super appreciate all your thoughts and builds on it. Let's just shift it up, though, because... If we assume technology is a science and, you know, we look at look at the broad remit of retail and helping humans, there is so much that we could be thinking about, right? So many different systems, applications. How do you keep control? How do you understand what sort of retail technology is and what it can do? I mean, I, I think that's a phenomenal question. I think 
even in my role of the last, you know, four or five years, where we were looking at new systems to implement, you know, obviously, we're trying to solve problems for the business. But you would go out and say, okay, we need a system that can do x. And there would be 30 systems on the market that can do that. Yeah, where x is really specific as well, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and x can be really specific. And most of those 30 applications are relatively new players to the market. And so as as you said quite rightly, there is such a vast array of <laughs> solutioning tools and things that people are exploring uh, simultaneously right mm. now. And that can that can certainly present challenges. It can because the time it takes to understand, okay, the best part, what are we trying to solve for with X in this particular context? And then what are those solutions can do the best for right now, but also will help us in the future is, is, is can be time intensive. And when you have an organization that needs to solve for X, Y, and Z, and maybe 15 other things at the same time, it's nearly, well, I'm, I'm, it's going to say nearly impossible. That's probably not true. But it's challenging to really understand how to move through all of that information and all of those choices swiftly. That's probably the best thing. How did, how did you best approach it? You know, th- there are so many different avenues. And like you say, lots of different options Yes, for each avenue. <laughs> Where do you start? So to me, and again, I, I'm... I'm Harkening back to this definition, because I, I think it's so spot on, it, it really comes back to the specifics around the problem you're trying to solve for the humans <laughs> that are going to be interacting with this problem, right? So really understanding the context in which you're, you're operating is so, so, so important. Right, because there are thirty different. In this example, right, there's thirty different things that you can choose from. Being grounded and understanding what are what is the most what are the most important factors that are going to feature in my decision making process is the starting point. It is so so crucial to get that right before you even turn your eyes to the thirty different things you could do. Yes. So really understanding the existing situation, and then working to think about your potential future context, right? So understanding and having really deep, sometimes innate knowledge of what is the culture of this organization? What are we trying to do? What are what are the most important things strategically for us in the future? So, so that when we look at those 30 options we can think about the ones that are going to marry up to our needs now and going forward mm. so it can be a longer term partnership so i think that's that's kind of a starting point in terms of you know before getting your ducks in a row if that makes sense yep. and then i think really leveraging and realizing that not one person can be an expert in all of it <laughs> <laughs> I think I think there's a humility that comes from it. I think if you spent all your time trying to get it right, you'd miss the boat. Yeah. So there's I think that's where it becomes really important to understand who can who has knowledge in certain areas and who can be 
helpers. <laughs> and I'm using very simplistic language here. But what I mean by that is talking to other people who have solved for this problem yep. before, understanding what solutions they've either looked at or implemented, how that went. Um, that's hugely important because it cuts through a lot of that noise. Mm. Also, finding what we saw a lot of is kind of smaller, specialized consultancies or system implementers who knew that realm very well, mm. or even or in, even independent contractors, people who would know that realm very, very well, knew all the 30 different options and could help leapfrog to the short list of the right solutions. So that ultimately it was the business who was making that decision. And we could talk to people who have implemented it and get references and all sorts, but having connections or utilizing specialized knowledge bases to really turbocharge it was quite important because <laughs> as you laughed when I said, literally trying to know the ins and outs of everything that's on the market right now is, is you know, <laughs> more than a full-time job. Yeah. <laughs> and the rest. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Particularly yeah. given how fast everything is moving right now, right? It's, you know, even if you knew it today, you look at you look at Chat GPT, right, as a, a mm. huge knowledge base. Even that is out of date, right? Because it yes. has to learn and cut off at a stage. And I think, yeah, I, I love the love the point about networking, essentially, and actually speaking to other people that have tackled the tackled the challenge. Because you know, across the retail industry, we all face broadly the same challenges, whether we're selling baked beans or dresses or televisions it's it's, it's broadly the same overall process right of course there's lots of intricacies but yeah there're lots lots to learn from different categories for sure i think what's an interesting point too if you go back to kind of what i was saying on that where the starting point is really understanding your con- your individual context around yeah. x and i think what's important about that is when you're when you're firmly rooted in that and you're having conversations with other people from other organizations you can start to compare what their x looked like to what your x looks like right so the context around the problem you're trying to solve was it exactly the same it never will be but how similar was it and what challenges were they facing that led them to wanting to solve for this and and sometimes even those conversations can be extremely enlightening because they may have solved for, they may have implemented a solution you're looking at to solve for a different problem. Yes. And that, but they'll have enough context to be able to guide you on whether they think what they've done would be successful for you. Yep. Yep. That makes sense. Let's just stick with that and that, that theme of really understanding the problem and essentially the, the requirements, right? Mm. One of the, should we call it a stereotypical IT challenge, is sure. that of having the business defining the requirements and the needs and sign off and everything. But you have the business and then you have IT, almost like two separate organizations. Uh, and the business is in air quotes as well, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, is this true? Do, does this, you know, do you see this happening still? And if so, how do we get over it? It's an interesting one. I think it is still a challenge. I think a lot of tech leaders, including myself, talk about 
harmonizing between technology and business, particularly particularly around strategic initiatives and how do you align strategy. I think it's still a very, very relevant topic. I think a lot of businesses still want to feel as though those two sides of the coin are harmonized. But I think what's interesting is how this conversation of of you know tech versus business has been going on for, for quite a while yeah. i think <laughs> you know this this isn't this isn't new but i think what is interesting and uh, is how as this conversation plays out over time what's happening is your workforce is getting more and more exposed to technology in every aspect of their lives yes so if you think about, I don't know, when we were growing up, I'm sure, like, you know, I, I'm thinking about back in my childhood where we didn't have a computer at home, but people would go into offices and there were computers there. Yeah. Or there weren't fax machines at home, but there were fax machines in the office. So in many cases, people's most um, advanced technology usage was in a workplace. Mm. And that, obviously I'm talking about something probably 30 years ago, that has changed in some cases slowly over time, but some cases quite rapidly over time. Yes. So where it used to be, you know, technology was cutting edge because people, and, and everyone had to be trained on exactly how to use it. And if you didn't, get it quite right, there were consequences. It wouldn't do what you needed to do. (laughs) And you might have the IT support department angry at you. You know, a lot of that has shifted because you have people who are much more tech savvy. So you you don't need, yes, you need to train people on applications, but it's the applications themselves are becoming more user-friendly and more innate and people have more comfort level in using technology because they're using it in their homes or when they're shopping or when they're at the airport. Mm. I mean, at almost every place you go has technology embedded in it now. Um, and, and, and obviously in people's pockets with their phones as well. But I, I think that's what's a really interesting change in that dynamic because You've got people who understand technology, but what feels still like the missing link is how do the business, in air quotes again, really recognize technology as an enabler within their work context now? Mm. Because actually technology is such an enabler in their non-work context that there's a combination of they really want to see that same level of seamlessness and user-friendly capabilities. But also, if you think about certain functions within a traditional business, the technology tools may not be, I'm thinking of more operational sides of retail organizations. Technology tools might not have progressed to be as shiny and sophisticated as, you know, non-work applications people mm. are using and i mean in the whole markets place yeah and you look at smart homes right and what people could do if if you know if you're really interested in linking up everything together 
you know, you can do some incredible stuff. And then you go to work and it's you're working on spreadsheets and copying and pasting from spreadsheet A to spreadsheet B and then emailing it (laughs) to to, to the next person. It's yeah. I think the business understands and, and there's, and there's a bit of like, why is this so hard for me? But I think there's a combination of how do you get your tooling to keep pace, which is, which is an important challenge to consider. But I think there's also another element of, how do I say, a certain mindset in the ways of working, Mm. right? So people who, leaders of departments who have been trained to perform tasks in certain ways or have a worldview of how something works because that's how they learned it 15, 20 years ago, they understand and they feel that frustration of it should be easier, but don't always know what that should look like or how to take their team or their department into something more cutting edge. And I think that's where you get the concerns or fears around AI will take my job. And And I don't say that lightly because I think there are some areas where people are very genuinely concerned. And I think there are some real, you know, interesting potential applications. But I think there are, there are certain solutions that we looked at over you know the last five years where it would have been a radical shift in ways of working mm. for particular teams and a lot more trust needing to be placed on algorithms calculated by a machine and that the teams were like that's not appealing that's not appealing to us we want tools that can do what we currently do faster but we don't want a tool that can eliminate that task. The the AI taking jobs bit is a very real risk, I believe. You know, I, I think all of us, frankly, should, should should have an element of concern around how AI is going to impact us, whether you're whether you're a colleague on the shop floor or whether you're a CEO, frankly, I think AI will absolutely play a part in what that job looks like in the future, frankly. I would suggest it's an inevitability around its growth. I do agree with you. I think I think it's not so black and white as AI will take my job. I think it's more nuanced in the sense of and and actually I think for it to be successful or maybe the most optimistic journey that everything could go on a big part of this is people understanding how to use these tools to their benefit. Yep. Right. So I think it's, as you say, if everyone just sort of says, oh, I'm going to turn a blind eye <laughs> and pretend it doesn't exist, there's the very high likelihood that, you know, things will leapfrog and say, well, this is how you do it now. And if you haven't learned to interact with this tool and use it to your advantage, then not quite sure how you fit into the picture, right? But I think if we all start to consider the way to progress the role that we do at a faster pace using this new tool that can do things quicker, then it's an interesting dialogue to have as an individual with the technology around you. Yeah, absolutely. I I think we need to reframe how we're thinking about AI. So if we break it down into the words artificial intelligence personally i find that's a bit clunky you know how do i how do <laughs> yeah. i as 
as an individual, how do I really engage with, with that? It's a bit clunky. But if we reframe that to thinking of AI as assisted intelligence, then suddenly mm. we can start to think, okay, how is this going to help me to do my role? And then suddenly you, you think about it in a whole different way about actually, it's not going to take my job. It's going to help my job and allow me to do X, Y, Z things that I can't, I just physically can't do today because I don't have the time or the headspace or the information. And suddenly it opens up lots of opportunities if we reframe our thinking about what AI is. I think that's a really, I think that's a great reframe. I think that's very valuable. And I think it speaks to kind of what I was speaking, trying to say as well in terms of how do you start viewing something in a way that you can interact and learn and grow as an individual. But it is, there is elements where someone's going to have to, I feel like I'm talking in generalities, although I've got specific examples in my mind, but I I think cases where people are really going to need to think about, okay, I do this now, but should I have to do it? Mm. (laughs) And I think when we, I, I think it's a very common thing when we look at enabling businesses with technology, the starting point is always, okay, how do you do what you're doing today, but faster? (laughs) And the real hack is how do you get the same outcome that you are currently achieving, but not necessarily following the same process to achieve it? Nice. And I think that that's the differentiator that takes creativity and imagination and can be a challenge when trying to take a business on a digital transformation journey. (laughs) But talking about, you know, implementing technologies and ways of working that are different around new systems, they very easily, very often want to mirror their existing process. And that's not a bad thing because it can help with adoption. But at the rate, the pace of change that's happening now in the technology sphere and this the whole concept for me around AI, your insist, assisted intelligence, is really where, where are those steps along that process that actually don't even need to be part of the process anymore? Yeah. And, I, and I know that's not a new thing with AI. That's a concept that, gosh, everyone's been talking about for many, many years, business process re-engineering, et cetera. Yeah, simplification, right? Simplification. But I think when we talk about technology and the advancements of technology and the speed of technology, I think the shift really comes into what are the technology solutions that are out there right now that are wholesale, you know, eliminating massive amounts of steps Yeah. or have the potential to to reduce someone's workload by 30% or very large numbers. Mm. This has been such a, a, a fantastic conversation, Holly. Just just thinking very quickly as we're coming up to the end of our time, you know, with so much tech out there, as you, as you just hinted, what what's catching your eye at the moment very briefly? Oh, it's, a, it's an interesting one. I think for me, any tech that makes us think differently about the world we live in is interesting for me um, or has the potential to sort of shift our existing way of living. So that's very grandiose statements, but I think that the examples I have are really around um, 
the virtual trying on in the, in the retail sphere. I think it's very interesting the ability that w- that I, I think AI will unlock in terms of generative AI and the ability to create more imagery, etc., around different size models, mm. being able to virtually try things on. Walmart is doing a huge amount in this space around kind of choose your own model or be your own model. And I think as we see customers enjoying shopping from anywhere, instead of having to go to a physical location more and more, I think that technology is a really interesting enabler for that. And it'll be really interesting to see kind of where that goes and how sophisticated it could get and how how it could get adopted. So I think that's a really interesting yeah, one. For sure. And then another one similar in that sphere, I've given two fashion examples, interestingly, but is around, It's a, it feels a bit gimmicky now, but it's an interesting one to think about is color changing fabrics. So I think if you, there's a lot that has kind of made splashes recently, yeah. but this idea that a garment that you own or a piece of, you know, a bag that you buy doesn't have to stay exactly as you purchased it. And this idea that you get versatility out of one piece is, is interesting. Now, obviously that can come in different ways and different designs and cuts and it doesn't have to be color changing to produce that same outcome. But I think the fact that people are playing around with that concept is a really interesting one and it could could lead to uh, I, I don't know interesting possibilities when you layer that on to this concept of sustainability and reducing waste mm-hmm. and having producing less as a as a global economy when you think about okay the garments we purchase or the garments we make how can we add longevity to them or make them more than just what they appear at face value. Yeah. So those are the those are the things that I find quite interesting. Love it. And I love the the the, the concept of the colour changing clothes brings us sort of full circle back to when we were kids. I'm not sure if you remember the global hypercolour t-shirts that changed colour when you got hot, right? So it's uh, history repeating itself. <laughs> I did, I did think that because I was like, oh, this is interesting. And I was like, but it's also kind of like hypercolor. Um, which didn't really go very far. So, it, you know, it could be a fad, but I think to me the concept that people are playing around with is is the interesting yeah, piece. Yeah, no. Will that application really work? Will it go anywhere? I don't know. But, the, but that scientific exploration into – how can we take what we think is a static known, right? You buy a green coat <laughs> and change that so that you've got more possibility yeah. is an interesting one. Yeah. It's an interesting one. But yes, long, not long live hypercolor. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't think they stood the test of time, sadly. <laughs> That's an opportunity for someone to bring that brand back for sure. This is true. I mean, the 90s are back from the fashion sphere. So. <laughs> definitely. Most definitely. Holly, thank you so much for joining us here on the Retail Transformation Show. What's the best way for people to, to, to find out more about you? LinkedIn? Is that best? 
Yes, it is. Yeah. So thank you so much, Ollie, for having me. And yes, finding me on LinkedIn is probably the best way. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Holly. Really appreciate your thoughts, your insights, and yeah, a bit of reflection time as well. Great conversation. (laughs) Always, always a pleasure, Ollie. Thank you so much. Thanks, Holly. What a great conversation there with Holly Steele. I loved how she took a different perspective on retail technology which really reinforces a lot of the things that we hear about, but sometimes miss in practice. So as we come to the close of this episode, if you're wondering what to listen to next, then there are some fantastic episodes through the archives of The Retail Transformation Show. Head on over to obandco.uk slash 267, where I'm sharing a few great episodes that I think would be fantastic to listen to right now. So head on over obandco.uk slash 267 and do check out the Retail Transformation Briefing whilst you're over there. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you're new to the podcast, do remember to hit subscribe and perhaps share this episode and the podcast with a peer or a colleague or a team member that you know will get some tremendous value from learning how to transform better. I appreciate you tuning in today and I'll look forward to joining you on another episode of The Retail Transformation Show very, very soon. Bye then. Bye.